Hello, and welcome to Champagne with Craig. We are unapologetic about loving our community and those that live here. Our goal is to focus on those that make our community amazing. We are not political. We are not judgmental. Our goal is to learn and use this platform to make us even better. Our beliefs are there is more good than bad, more positive than negative, and our glass is always half full. We support and encourage. We believe in responsibility and a simple belief in doing the right thing. We believe there's a lot more gray in the world and less black and white. We practice humility, and our definition of humility is being honest and sincerely willing to learn a few simple things from other people, having no desire to strangle them in the process. I hope you enjoy, and let's listen. Hi there. It's Craig again, this is episode four, and this time it's just me. I've interviewed three of my friends um, discussing race, Dion Thomas, um, Coach Leconte Nix, and Howard Milton. I've learned quite a bit, and some people have asked me why, my mom even asked me, why am I doing it? And the reason I did this is I just want to learn something. Um... As I said in many of the podcasts, the Conti got me thinking about a few things. I think that's fair. Um, and I wanted to understand more than what my small world had allowed me to understand. Don't get me wrong. Interviewing three black men does not make me an expert. It doesn't make me somehow super qualified to fix the world ills. I don't believe that way. Um, I do believe that it has changed me forever. No, um, no, I'm not going to have a Black Lives Matter sign in my yard. Um, I'm, I have strong opinions about that, um, but I'm going to try to summarize what I believe the three of them would say in this summary and some of my own reactions this time. I, I did not react or tried not to react and just let each, each guest speak because I think what they had to say was a hell of a lot more important than what I could ever possibly say, and still is. It's apparent that we look through the world through different lenses. Um, there's, there's no question about that. I'm sure they don't agree to a lot of the way I look at the world through my, I guess, white lens. Um, and I don't agree with everything they say about looking through the world through their black lens. But just a chance to understand each other, I felt no conflict, no hatred, no picking sides. That's what I wanted out of this. I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do this. I'm very fortunate that these guys help me um, understand, change, and maybe somewhere after all this, we'll be able to help somebody as well too. Thank you, Coach Nix. Thank you, Dion. And thank you, Howard, for giving this opportunity. And we're going to summarize you know, a lot what we said about um, and what we talked about. First topic is why is it so difficult to talk about race? In summarizing all three, I think there's a couple major points. It, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of 
having somebody disagree with an opinion you have that you have kept or have been raised with maybe your entire life. It's a fear that your opinion may be right or wrong. It may have some connotations you may not know. It's hard to look at yourself and think of yourself as not being understanding, not being caring, not being loving, not caring about the human race or another human being. I'm saying 99% of us aren't like that. But it still doesn't make the conversation any easier. They all believe that it's more uncomfortable for a white person to talk about it than a black person. Um, simply because I think they all feel that they've had to deal with that side of it all their life. I believe it was Dion that said, how many times did you sit around the kitchen table talking about the black culture? And of course, my answer was zero, never. And his response was, well, we did it all the time. And in different ways, Coach Nix and Howard both do the very same thing. I don't know what that means, but it means something. I wish I had the answer to that question. Why, um, not, not why we don't sit around and talk about the black family, but why it seems so different. And this conversations or conversations like this, if they could be shared, that really could start changing how we view even the littlest of things. Because there's hurt and pain and optimism, not all bad. They all, we all believe that the reason we can do this and we should have these conversations is that we can all be better. And that's what I got from the initial part of it is why do we need the conversations? because we can just be better. I don't know of anything that I've ever done that I didn't want to be better at, whether it's playing golf, football, um, being a realtor, um, being a dad. I mean, I can't think of anything that I didn't want to be better at. So why shouldn't I, we want to be better at understanding our fellow human beings? Those are being our friends. Those that may look at the world a little bit differently. Conversations are important. Without them, without those conversations, nobody learns anything. Lacante always, he went to it and said, you know, we ask our kids, get out of your comfort zone, get out of your comfort zone. Well, this is getting out of your comfort zone. I certainly was not comfortable doing this. By the end, I was very comfortable doing it. I can say that I'm, <laughs> I'm more comfortable even addressing a black person now. I know that sounds awful, that there was some hesitation before in my life. But like I said, it's, it's changed me. Um, it's changed me. Slavery. Each had very, very deep wounds to this day about slavery. Um, it takes them back to a place. They all have different triggers or seem different triggers, but you could absolutely 
when the word was brought up, see in their face and see their emotion that it still lives within them. Generations removed from when, whether the great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather or mother um, were slaves, but it's still with them. It's not gone in their heart. They don't sit around and think about it every day, but they still have a relationship with it. And I found I found that very um, well. I was I was ignorant of that. My assumption was it's been so long ago. How why would you have a relationship with that? I mean, it was inhumane. Any any decent human being couldn't imagine something like that happening, but it did. And it did happen to their grandpa or great-grandpa or great-grandmother. So it all it is every bit as part of them. It's every bit in their DNA as they are being black. And I, I, I believe that with, with, with all sincerity. Slavery, I think, when you look at it moving backwards and, and what does it mean today, it, it created it created a class and Dion um, reverted to this that you know there's all kinds of uh, what you call it, racism or, or class warfare and it created a class of uneducated um, they weren't, weren't allowed to be educated they were punished to be educated and that well, hopefully we are overcoming that. That's the greatest divide that we've seen. And that that divide of education even lends itself a greater economic divide. And as you as we talked many times, in some of these neighborhoods, the the only way they see to feed their family is selling drugs or or and if that was the only way I could feed my family, I would do the same. They, they equate slavery, gosh, I don't want to sound like an expert here, but to loss of hope. And to this day, there's some loss of hope still out there. Dion, you know, did a, a session with, with some kids at a school. They were fairly young. I don't remember, recall exactly what year they were. Just asked the question, who here wants to go to college? And everybody raised their hand. And then who here thinks they're going to go to college and like one person raised their hand. That's what they're talking about, lack of hope. That's what they're talking about where slavery started without hope. And to this day, it still exists. That's what each of them kind of kept going back to when they started thinking of slavery. Which lends itself into the question of systemic racism. I could find no definition that suited anybody. I can find no definition of what it means. They each gave individual examples of what they believe systemic racism is from all the way from police departments, which we'll talk about later, to housing laws or, or being able to live in neighborhoods, being, uh, you know, a, a system um, 
of justice that only applies, you know, being thrown on the hood of a car when you've done nothing wrong. Um, there were little examples of that, uh, people being afraid of black people, um, just in general. Um, and it's because they don't know them. I mean, you couldn't be afraid of any one of these gentlemen. If you had any, do anything about their character, you would not be afraid. There, there's no reason not to love each of these men. And yet they still feel that within our system, people do doubt them. And I think that's where the systemic racism means to me. Um, I can't summarize what it means to them because each one of them looked at it, that question very differently. And while most of them came back to the same place with the questions we had, that word's thrown around a lot. And I think it's dangerous to throw a word around that you can't define. I think it's very dangerous. How do you fix something you can't define? I think there's problems that can be fixed. But systemic racism is a, a hot new word. And while I do believe in some form or fashion that that exists, I'm not near smart enough to understand what defines it and even how to attack it. Other than doing what we're doing right here of trying to understand someone else's point of view, agreeing or disagreeing, and then actually doing something about it. If you're going to fix a systems problem, which I guess is the definition of what we're talking about, systemic racism, you have to know where it comes from. You have to know what those that it affects, how they view it. Maybe their view is right. Maybe it's not completely right. Who's to judge? But it will be their view. And when I wrap this up in the end, for my, my end of summary, I think you're going to see that we're more alike. And we can agree on a lot more things than we think we can. And if that's part of the solution to systemic racism, then you can count me all in. Because what I learned, it's just not that hard to listen. It's, I, I should do it more with my wife. I should do it more with my kids. I should do it more with my employees. Um, this may be the, the very first time in my life that I ever truthfully tried to not react and listen. And systemic racism needs a lot more listening. Racist, it's the same kind of thing. Um, they all had different definitions of who's a racist, you know, what does it mean? I mean, Howard, I thought it was interesting that Howard got offended by the Aunt Jemima collection I don't mean to laugh, but it was, we laughed about it. It was funny. Um, and then I asked him, did he think he was a racist? And his answer was no. 
He goes, I, I know the guy. He's a good man. He didn't know. But how would he know that I would be offended by that? And everybody's a racist these days. I mean, if you say something that doesn't agree with somebody's point of view, you're a racist. Because that kind of labels you the, you know, the worst person in the world. So it, it takes you to a, a degraded point that, well, since you're a racist, nobody should listen to you. Howard, I think, said it best, is that we need to have more grace. We need to have more grace with each other as we listen to what somebody has to say. Not judge it all the time, not just hyper-react, but to have a little grace, a little understanding. A little understanding that, you know, that person just may not know. We laughed, we were about all of us did, we're all born naked and ignorant. And we've learned things through life. Some of us just don't know how to handle or that we said something that was even offensive. I am sure I have done that thousands of times in my life. Thousands of times. And just didn't know that it was offensive. Probably to women, probably to kids, probably, you know, not intending to be offensive. But it was. Back to Mo Gardner, that when we told the story that when the chief controversy started, that Mo Gardner said, I don't really care about the chief, whether we have it or not, but you can't tell somebody, you know, what offends them. And I think that's, you know, being a racist or, or, or being labeled racist or calling somebody that is not understanding that that basic statement. You can't tell somebody what offends them. And then you combine that with Howard's, we need more grace, that even though it may offend us when somebody says something, to give them a break. Hey, why'd you say that? Or, you know, have a conversation with them. Be more gentle. Be less reactive. I mean, damn, what could Nick say that? Well, I'm going to ask Coach Nix. He'll certainly tell me. Am I a racist? Um, no. Have, have I said things in my past that would potentially lead somebody to believe I'm a racist? Yes. But I can unequivocally say now I know that I am not. I know that I've done things that someone would construe as that. But... I'd like to thank Howard again in this part about grace. That I've given myself some grace. That I was ignorant to certain things. Again, I don't agree with everything that these gentlemen said. And I've had the opportunity to have conversations before and after and listen to these recordings. I've listened to each one of them three times along while I was doing them. I didn't understand things, which didn't mean, which doesn't mean if you don't understand something that you're a racist, or if you think you have a higher calling than the next person over here, that you can call them a racist. You can't, because you don't know. You don't know what they understand. Hell, I didn't know what I understood. How could I possibly project 
on somebody else what they understand or what they're thinking. I do think people would change the way they act if they would go through this exercise like I did. But I can't change what somebody thinks. I can only hope they listen to these gentlemen, and maybe me, and how it affected me, and how we move forward from that, from that point. Am I a racist? No. So that leads us right in to one of the hardest topics we had was the N-word. Supreme, I, I, I can't, I can't come up with a word strong enough to how each of these men felt about that word. Hatred, dehumanizing. I mean, I could go on with every awful, nasty adjective in the entire world and how it affects them and how, you know, what it means when they're addressed like that or, or it takes them back to slavery or takes them back to be dehumanized. It takes them like back to they don't matter. They don't even like it used interculturally. All three of these men didn't. And again, that doesn't make me an expert and it's not kind of some kind of big social, social justice study and doesn't make it right. But it does lend it to believe that even though we've seen comedians use it interculturally, I think it has certainly desensitized us, me as a white person anyway, to the word. Because I found that the word meant nothing to me. It didn't. It, it meant absolutely nothing to me in that it was the punchline of a joke. It was what Richard Pryor said. It's what Dave Chappelle said. It was, it, it just, it was no different to me than me can, hey, to one of my friends, hey, fat ass, get up and let's go have lunch. Or, I mean, something stupid. That was a stupid comment, but, you know, hey, dumb fuck, let's go get something to eat. That would be no different to me than saying, hey, N-word, let's go get something to eat. Because it didn't mean anything. I can tell you right now, this has been the biggest change in how I view things. The word means something. The word meant something to them. I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do or anything I'd rather avoid more than hurting one of these gentlemen with a word. And that word, if used, causes hurt. So if there's one actionable item out of all this that comes, is that word's been wiped from my vocabulary. I would hate to think that I demeaned any human being because I've said the word thousands of times probably. Not proud of it, but I let's be honest if you're being honest. But again, it was ignorance. I never it never meant anything to me. And I understand that it does mean quite a bit to a lot of people. So I don't need it. There's a lot of dirty words I can use that, that don't hurt people that I like to use. <laughs> 
I'll just use those other dirty words. How's that? And we'll leave that one for another time. We talked about the police. Um, George Floyd. Every one of these men absolutely 100% believed they could have been or could be tomorrow George Floyd. They gave example after example. Um, I'm not going to be able to recite each example they gave. Um, being thrown on a car hood, being thrown on the ground, being accused of, of something. Um, they all believe that defunding the police is ludicrous. Um, that, I mean, how can you have any law and order without the police? Um, they all believe there needs to be some reform because they have they have felt that that fear of police. I mean, I think Coach Nix loved I loved it when he said uh, he loves the the officers in the schools, not for protection, but so people can get to know them and humanize the officers as well too. I found that to be a certainly a different take on it than where I thought that question would go. They all believe there needs to be some reforms. Um, I just, I just love how Coach Nix puts things. Sometimes, um, he he takes he. It's why he's a good coach. He takes it down to this this simple, really quickly, and he goes, "Bad cops know who bad cops are." And he goes, "Bad teachers know who bad teachers are." You know, bad realtors know who bad realtors are. Um. The reform that he would like to see is is the reform from within of being able to not protect them via union or whatever vehicle it may be that, hey, you call them out because you know who they are. We can't not have 911 to call. There are bad, bad people out there. There are criminals out there. You can't defund our way of life. And without law and order, we all would agree, all four of us, that, that that's ludicrous. Reform, yes. Defund, no. Let's talk about getting better, yes. Hating police officers, no. How would you like to make those decisions in a moment's notice? And the only thing you want to do is get up in the morning, do your job, and go home and, and see your wife and kids that night. And they have to truthfully make life and death decisions. Not daily, but in their career, they will have to do it. On a split second's reaction. Not an easy job. I think I would be an awful police officer. Because my overriding fear of wanting to get home and see my wife and kids would overtake probably some good judgment on my part. So my hat's off to them. Um, support them. The, the, the attitudes towards them. I mean, every, nobody can look at what happened to George Floyd and, and say that any part of that is remotely right or justified. 
you can't you can't say that. So those that are those that need to be addressed that are capable of doing something like that need to be fixed. And the 99 others beside them, you know, maybe understand a little more, but keep protecting us. I'm not going to I'm not going to continue to talk um, a great deal. I'm going to try to keep this one pretty, pretty short. Um, the Black Lives Matters movement we discussed. Um, they all believe it has kind of been hijacked um, to a hate police area. Like that's why I kind of brought this these two together. Um, Black Lives Matter. They believe that they should show up, each one of them in different ways. They should show up every time a black man is killed, whether it's George Floyd or whether it's the the little girl um, that was playing Legos in Chicago that got shot through the through the window. Um, they strongly feel there's not enough attention given to those issues that happen every single day, multiple times a day throughout our country. They'd like to see more attention given to that. They'd like to see, I don't want to call it programs because programs is a bad word. Um, I think programs is something people do to make themselves feel good about it, but a lot of times don't have a positive effect on what's actually doing. They'd like to see some action. And action is getting good mentors and, and education into those systems and giving those people hope um, on how to get out of those situations to where a gun's not the only way that it can be done. Um, I agree with them. I, I agree completely with the Black Lives Matter that it is it needs to be everywhere. And Lacante said it best. He goes, what Black Lives Matter matters to me is that my life matters. Well, coach, your life matters. It matters a lot. It matters a lot to a lot of people. I hope, I hope you know that. I hope all three of you know that. And um, so as we talk with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I'll leave it at that. I'll just I'll just leave it there. I'm going to wrap this up. All lives matter. It doesn't have to be either or. That's that's maddening to me. All this shit's become maddening. That I saw somebody on Facebook, you know. Say you like Trump or hate Trump, so I know who to delete from my account. I mean, that, that's such bullshit. Um, yeah, now my tone's changed because what I've learned is that we got a, a lot more in common than we than we are. Have, I don't even know how to say this. We're a lot more alike than we're not alike. We could sit in a room. And agree on 97 out of 100 things of how to fix, how to help, 
what's the attitude of it, understanding each other. I could bring hundreds of people together, black and white, and they would agree on most everything. But because it doesn't sell advertising space, because it doesn't grab the headlines, or somebody's not profiting off of it, yeah, people profit off this shit, which really makes you mad. We're a hell of a lot alike. Dion said, have you cut us open? We all bleed. We all have the same cells. It's true. Lacante, what do black families talk about? They talk about religion and they talk about education. Who can disagree with that? You know, Howard, you know, more grace. The humility of Howard and the emotion that he showed during these interviews um, will stick with me forever. Um, Howard and I have been friends, but Howard and I are different kinds of friends now. And it, it's, I'm lucky to, to have talked to these guys, to understand, to realize that it's not black and white. There's a hell of a lot of gray in this world. And most good people live in that gray. It's the shitty people that live on the outside of that gray. And I don't care what color you are. If you live on each side of it, you're shitty. If you want to try to understand, that's a great place to start. So have some grace with yourself. We all default to trying to defend our positions. And maybe that's why racism or race is so hard to talk about or whatever it might be. Um, we all default, hey, you know, I didn't own slaves or, or I can't, I mean, I don't believe that that was how inhumane that was. How could somebody ever have possibly have done that? Which is all very true. It's all very true. And I don't see that, you know, not all, but we're blamed for that. If I learned anything other than the use of the N-word, if you listen to these podcasts and you started defending a position that you thought before you completely listened to what Dion, Coach Nix, and Howard were saying, then you weren't listening. I was guilty through the entire interview process, so I'm not judging. I had the opportunity to listen to them over and over again. And I got something different every time I listened to them. When you start going to your default, you're truthfully not listening. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It does not mean that you have to agree with everything they say. But it does mean you should listen. We should do that more when we're talking to all of them, whether it's family or friends. Our position will be our position. We've learned it. But we don't have to hate each other. It doesn't have to be black and white. We can get better. I think we all want to get better. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm going to be a shitty guy today. Or I'm going to say something to somebody that, that's inhumane. 
or I'm going to go out there and offend thousands of people today. I don't believe that we get up and do that intentionally. Either side. We're more alike than we're different. I appreciate you listening to this. I promise all my podcasts won't be so serious. But I think it was a good way for me to start. That listening is really important. Listening intently is more important. And then you're absolutely... No, it's your responsibility to form that opinion and then defend it after that. Whether you agree or disagree. And if you disagree, move on to the next topic that you can agree on. Because we're not all going to agree on everything. Again, I want to thank my three friends, Dion, the Conte coach, Nix, and Howard, um, for taking the time to spend with me. It has changed my view. Um, it hasn't made me an activist. It hasn't made me fundamentally different. It's made me fundamentally understand things better. And hell, isn't that what we all of us want to do? Just understand things a little better? Because everybody wakes up in the morning, and I don't know anybody that says, boy, I would like to get a little worse today. We all want to get better. Everybody, my friends, thanks for listening. And we'll see you on the lighter side for the next episode. Um, I'm going to interview Lauren Tate, the all-time great um, reporter that has seen more sports and and more will have more tales to tell than you can possibly imagine. And I promise it will be on the lighter side. So, again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode.